This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 348, Conversation with Pat Shand. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and this is episode 348. It's our conversation with Pat Shand. Uh, for this episode, we talk with Pat about his career with Zenoscope Entertainment, uh, talking about the comics he's written for them, talk about... Actually, we have a prolonged conversation about uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel, as uh, he's a big fan of both and has written extensively uh, in the past about uh, both universes. Uh, we talk about his work on the Charmed Season 10, uh, as well as the potential for Season 11, his upcoming work with Xenoscope, um, where his career has taken him and where it might take him in the future. Uh, it's a really fun, exciting episode. I think you really enjoy listening to uh, Pat talk about his work and and then you can also seek out his work online. Uh, you can go to Comixology, pick up the Xenoscope comics that he's picked that he's written, or go to your local comic book shop and uh, see what Xenoscope books uh, they still have available that he's written in the past. Um, so that's uh, coming at you in just a moment. First, some housekeeping. You can email us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, like us on Facebook, read and review us on iTunes, and you can also listen to us on Stitcher. Thanks again for joining us for this episode, and let's get right into the chat with Pat Shand. Pat, thanks for joining us at Comic Shenanigans. How are you doing today? Not bad. How are you? Doing very well, very well. Uh, so the first question I like to ask everyone who comes on the show is, what was kind of your history with comics, if, if you had one growing up? Um, I don't have uh, that much of a history. I mean, um, when, when I was very young, my uncle brought me this box. It's like shoebox of comics. And um, I read and loved some of what was in there. You know, we had some uh, old school Rocketeer. And <laughs> I, was, I, I must have been maybe six, seven, eight years old. And I was honestly far more into reading novels. Like, I was into R.L. Stein's Goosebumps books. Loved Goosebumps. Um, but the, the one comic that I really loved was Creepshow. Um, I had that big, um, it was like an oversized trade of Stephen King's Creepshow. And um, that was great, you know. It was a bit too hardcore for me as a six or seven year old because, um, <laughs> you know, in Goosebumps, at the very worst, the twist at the end would imply that the protagonist isn't deep shit. In Creep Show, they uh, rip your face off. So there was a much different kind of level of terror there. So I wasn't quite ready for that, but <laughs> I, did, I did love it, even though it probably damaged me. Um, but I, I didn't really get into reading comics monthly until, until my early 20s, um, around uh, 2007, 2008, when uh, Dark Horse and IDW started doing the, their uh, Buffy and Angel comics. Um, and once they did that, I started to read more licensed books, and then I uh, caught on because um, there were some writers like Brian K. Vaughn who were writing stories um with uh, Joss Whedon on Buffy, so I would then get into their stuff, so I got into Runaways and Why the Last Man after Brian uh, guested on Dark Horse's uh, Buffy Season 8, mm. and um, from then on, I, I just, um, I discovered that comics uh, weren't what I thought they were, you know, they're, I mean, obviously this is a comics podcast, so you guys know, but what I didn't know then was um, this the level of storytelling that you could achieve in comics and how it's very very different and somewhat better, I'd say, than what you can achieve in prose or movies as a writer because um, 
I was very into the uh, theater scene in New York then, and I loved the idea that I could write something and then I can get an instant reaction right in front of me. But with comics, I, I as I began to, to see what these writers were doing, I fell in love with the idea that they had the visual aspect of film and theater, but the idea that the reader can read it at their own pace like prose. And I thought that was such a genius idea, and I fell in love from that point on. Wow. Now, how did you actually start working in comics? Because that's it's one thing to, to love the medium, and it's another thing to actually start writing for them. Right. Um, you know, it was uh, it was the same avenue through IDW's Angel. I was doing these, like, like uh, blog spot reviews. I would review every comic they did, and then I started doing their, their um, non-licensed lines, like some creator-owned books I would review. And through that, I uh, developed a rapport with the writers and the artists and the editors. And when it came time for the Angel license to pass from IDW to Dark Horse, they were doing their final Angel anthology. It was going to be um, a collection of short comics by the writers and artists who had defined um, that company's run. So at a New York Comic Con, I, um, I heard about the book and I asked if I could pitch and... The editor, who was working on Angel at the time, um, he had known me, um, and he introduced me to um, someone who was writing Angel at the time, um, Mariah, and then the three of us got to talking, and they said I could pitch, so I pitched a six-page uh, short story, um, and then they said, you have it, you, you can do this, but you only do two pages, and I was <laughs> so excited, but you know, like, I... I'm glad because that six-page story, I was just cramming so much into there because it was, um, I had done some of my own scripts at that point because as soon as I realized what you could do in comics, I started trying to uh, develop some creator-owned pitches. Um, but man, you know, I was just so excited at the prospect of writing Angel that I uh, I just shoved everything I could into six pages and it just didn't fit. So when they gave me two, I just scrapped that story and did a much a simpler story that I feel is better in the long run and um, is much more me than that six-pager was. Uh, and yeah, so my first my first ever gig was kind of a, a dream come true. Now, were you always a fan of the Angel character? Because, I mean, that's an, an obvious place to start, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, to, to me, Buffy and Angel are both... Uh, the, the, the best shows ever you know I, I've never been affected by a story as much as Buffy or Angel um, and I mean I, I've written not only have I written Angel but I've just written about both series so much you know I, um, I, I've done stuff for uh, Titan um, they, they did this Joss Whedon um, book I did essays in that I've just had my blogs like various Buffy blogs and um I'm writing for this website, Sad Girl's Guide, and almost every chance I get, I talk about Buffy, you know, so I feel like <laughs> that I'm almost more well-known for talking about Buffy than having written Angel. Interesting. What, what is it about Buffy that speaks to you so much? You know, I mean, uh, it's just, it's the perfect mix of everything I look for in storytelling. You know, um, you have long-term character arcs where you follow these characters for seven seasons on Buffy and five on Angel and some even cross over into each other where it's it's the sort of storytelling that, that would take literally 100 years to do in comics because they had an episode a week 
and a full 40 minute episode and it's just the, the, the amount of depth um, both character wise and thematically that um, Joss Whedon and his staff of writers were able to get into both Buffy and Angel is just phenomenal and I think um, that along with The Sopranos has just had this insane impact on television because if you're watching TV now it's not hard to tell that we're in a renaissance of excellent creator driven storytelling mm-hmm. in television you know and um, I think that it's that is partly in debt to uh, to Joss Whedon uh, David Chase at The Sopranos and whoever is behind the monster that is Netflix original television <laughs> absolutely do you think we'll ever see like a, like they would ever do another version of Buffy on screen? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's it's too big of a concept. It's too great of a concept to not. Um, they, they were talking about a reboot movie back then, um, about five six years back, and it didn't come to fruition. But now now you see that Netflix Netflix is bringing back Full House. You mm-hmm. know, and I mean, as a kid, I loved Full House. However. Do we need do we need a fuller house? I don't know how many people are clamoring for that. But the amount of people who are clamoring for a Buffy or an Angel reunion or spinoff, that is insane. You know, that amount of people is crazy. It's a similar amount of the people who were asking for and got the Gilmore Girls uh, thing, you know? Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I, I I'm not sure if, if Joss is interested because um I mean he, he just came off the Avengers and if I were him, um, and I'm not because um, he, he is much richer and more successful than I am, but if I were to try to imagine myself in his shoes right now, would I want to go back and work on an older property after doing the Avengers, or would I want to do something new? And I think I would want to do something new, but the, the selfish aspect of me hopes that he would eventually consider doing something for Buffy, because at this point... Just looking at the news and seeing how many older properties are being brought back, the idea that he hasn't even been asked, that's ridiculous. It, it, that conversation has to have happened. I'm interested in how it went down, but just like, it's such a big property, you know? It's, I can't imagine that conversation not at least going somewhere, you know? Well, absolutely. Unless he was just too busy to have the conversation. I mean, that's always possible, too. Right. You know, I mean, I feel like, hope to God that if they ever do anything with the property, that he has to be involved. And so, like, you can't, because wasn't there a talk at one point of them trying to do something with the property but not using him? Right, yeah. It was going to be a reboot movie because um, uh, the Koozies, the people who um, who directed the first film that doesn't count toward the uh, canon of the TV series. And this, as I'm saying that these words... Just this geekiness, this nerdery is pouring out of me. <laughs> I, I, I feel it. But the, the Koozies did that film that they, um, Joss didn't love the treatment of his script, but because they own part of that, they had to be credited in both Buffy and Angel, so they own a piece of that. And they were the ones who were trying to bring it back, and they had a writer, Whit Anderson, who was attached to it. Um, but that didn't go anywhere. Um, and the reaction online was not great. Um, so I think especially because Netflix in particular is reaching out to these creators to continue their own stories. 
I think that should Buffy come back, it's going to be with Joss because the outcry that would happen is, you know, it's not a George Lucas situation. Joss Whedon is still looked at by that fandom as their guy, you know? Um, I mean, they idolize the people in the writer's room, not just Joss. We know all their names, and I say we because I do too, you know? I love these writers. I follow their careers. Um, So I think that should this reunion happen, it's going to happen not only with Joss, but with them too, you know, with like Jane Jane Espenson. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, hopefully Drew Goddard, who has had this insane juggernaut career, you know, he's gone... He's gone to like almost Joss Whedon heights, you know. Absolutely, no, for sure. <laughs> now let's come back to you. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> See, you know, I've written and talked so much about Buffy. It's just so natural to me that this has become kind of a Buffy interview. It seems. Well, nothing wrong with that. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, well, actually, you know, I'll ask another question about Buffy then. Um, <laughs> sure. Can't help myself. Um, well, actually, not not so much on Buffy itself, but on Angel. Yeah. Um, now, what does what what is it about the Angel character in his show that worked for you? Because it is a different stylistic show. You know, it is, but at the same time, it's not. Um, because while it, it's it was marketed as more adult than Buffy, but it's not. You know, they they end up dealing with the same kind of tone. I'd say. You know, it's clear. It's very, very certainly the same world. The, the same characters, the same kind of dialogue, and the same focus on character. You know, like, um, you take any given character, like, um, on Angel, Wesley, he starts as this character who, who in Buffy was this sort of, um, bumbling idiot. And mm-hmm. then by the end of Angel, he is the most, uh, his character arc was so intricate, so tragic, and it's just, they, they, they do the same thing on Buffy with a character like Spike, with, with a character like Anya, Willow, where given time, just the nature of the show turns these characters, turns the smallest, the, the, the most big role into something that you could just cry about, you know? Um, and I think that's what draws me to Angel in the same way. It's not that, I mean, obviously Angel, um, it didn't have the audience that Buffy did, so in some ways they were able to try crazier things to make it work like um you can almost look at each season it's very different you know like in the first season it's more of like a vampire detective procedural Mm -hmm. and then seasons two and three are this this kind of more Buffy-esque thing where it's you, you, you have that long arc but it's broken up by episodes and then season four is this long apocalyptic soap opera and then season five you had them in, in the office you know so it's it's completely different than Buffy but at the same time the core of it is the same and the core the um, core of quality is what matters to me okay who on um, well I have to ask a silly question then but on Angel who was your favorite character oh Wesley for sure and on Buffy changes a lot because mm. I, I love I love Giles and I love Anya um, but the last time I watched I felt most akin to Buffy herself and I um, in the past there have been times where Buffy was making these choices that I felt alienated the character from her friends and the audience at the same time this time I did not feel that way I felt very much in her shoes through this um, recent watch 
Interesting. Why do you think that is? I mean, I had um, I had had more life experiences. I, I, I'd grown. I'd grown older. I'd gone through say similar things. And I know that people who haven't seen Buffy are um, <laughs> hear similar things that Buffy the Vampire Slayer has gone through, and they picture you know slaying vampires. But I'm talking about the the choice of Joss Whedon's the the the, the um. The direction he pushed her character, the metaphors that he's dealing with here, especially in season six, you know, there were just things that had previously pushed me away from the character that this time I identified with on a much deeper level. Interesting. I guess that speaks to the the strength of of the world, right? Like you can kind of come out at different points in your life and now you interact with it differently. Right, definitely. So let's let's talk about you. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Let's do it. <laughs> now, what what brought what um, so like what when you started writing more comics? So obviously, so you wrote that story of Angel. How did you end up working more with Xenoscope? All right, that one. Um, it's funny because I was on a, a, a radio show uh, last week, and, and I told them exactly how I did it. And um, if there are any writers or aspiring artists listening, here's the trick. If you find one email for a writer, no, not a writer, for an editor, right? For anyone at a comic book company, you most, in most cases, you have every single email there. It's a form. Like, I, I purposely don't have a Xenoscope email because I don't want those emails. I, I'm already busy enough. But if I had a Xenoscope email and my email showed up as um, pchan at xenoscope.com, you see the P for Pat full last name you can plug anyone's name into that it's a form it's, it, it's, it's a form for every company and that's how I, I've discovered every single editor email that I have um, and, and, and I have at least at least two for every company that, that there is um, so yeah it's just as soon as you find out the form you know contact the company for a stupid question um, so get the form and then hit them up and see, see what's going on um, so I did that with Ralph Tedesco I um I had a sales question at first, got the email form, then I plugged in the editor-in-chief's name, uh, Ralph Tedesco, and talked to him, told him what I did with Angel. Um, I did not mention that it was just two pages, of course. Uh, <laughs> I sent him some script samples, which is a no-no, but he was kind enough. He had he had someone at the company read the samples. He read my Angel story, um, and uh, after that, boom, you know, uh, he... Gave me a job writing um, an adaptation of a few episodes of A Thousand Ways to Die. <laughs> they published that as a graphic novel. Um, and then he started putting me on some Grim Fairy Tales one-shots. And soon after that, he had me writing some miniseries and then offered me um, an, a job as an exclusive writer, like a staff writer there. And I did that, and um, that was in 2012. And since then... I've been writing there, I've been editing there, and I've um, recently taken on some freelance writing elsewhere as well. Of the different, I mean, obviously you've written a lot for them. Um, what's kind of the, the the trademark kind of book that, that says that if you have to read one thing by Pat Shand at Xenoscope, this is what I should read? Oh, Robin Hood for sure. You know, um, th- there's no question there. Robin Hood there is the most me. You know, everything, everything I was going through as a person during the writing of Robin Hood. And I've written 39 issues of the book. It started in 2012, 
uh, it's just now ending. You know, it's going to end in uh, in April this year, perhaps May if we're late, which we're probably going to be late. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's um that one is the embodiment of who I was as I wrote it. You know, um, I mean, of course, there's a lot of me in everything that I write, but the most concentrated uh, passion is definitely in Robin Hood. Why do you find that is? Is it something just about the character or the world or all, all of it? Well, you know, um, with Robin Hood, it was my first miniseries. Um, it started out as an origin miniseries, five issues, and um, they, um, they gave me a plot for the first issue, and I basically went by it, and then from issues two and on, it's me. Um, so... Been a, it's been a long, long ride, and she's just sort of been with me from the start of this weird journey. Um, so, she, the, the fact that I've had this character in her world um, as a sort of diary for these past few years is probably what it is, you know, because um, there are some books that have pieces of me, like big, gigantic pieces of what I was going through, but those are just miniseries, you know, they're, they're, they all continue. But Robin instead of being just a, a distillation of an idea that I had, she has grown with me over time. And um, there are many books that I've, I've been on for a long time. You know, like, um, by the end of Charmed, I'll have been on that for two years. And I've written two Charmed novels. Um, and Grim Fairy Tales, by the end of that, I'll, I'll have written, um, my recent run is going to be 25 issues long. Uh, but I also wrote a, f- a few issues before my actual stay on run um so there are a, book, a few books i've been on for long runs but robin i just feel um i have seen an opportunity through the setting the characters and just the base idea to just make it more me mm-hmm. how does it feel to be ending that story then and you know i, I i'm sad i'm very sad it was my choice um but I'm sad because uh, they are going to start it up again um, after my run. I think there's going to be a few months probably of like uh, just time off and then they'll get someone else to write it. Um, and could I have stayed on? Probably, yeah. Because, um, you know, th- there are two guys in charge. It's Ralph and Joe. I know um, I was talking to Ralph and he was like, can you just stay on? And uh, because at, at that point... Um, we were, it's pretty much the three of us who figure our stories as a whole. Uh, so we were talking about Robin Hood and where the series was. And um, Joe had an idea for the tone um, going forward. And I didn't love um, what he wanted to do and he didn't love what I wanted to do. So it, it, it was pretty much just um, try, trying to figure out that middle ground there. And um, after we had discussed it a bit, I saw a way out, and I, I plotted through the end of, um, at, at that point, I had written through issue uh, 14. Um, so I, I went back and I revised issues 13 or 14 and just pitched our idea to end the series at um, issue 20. Um, and I, um, Joe loved the idea, and uh, he said that he was actually good with that idea and didn't mind me sticking around. But by the time that I, I was there, you know, I I, I didn't want to figure out what I thought was a, a, a good solid end and then overstay my welcome. You know, like mm. if I 
Like, because then I would have to come up with a new ending. And um, for me, the ending was, um, it's not a, a definitive ending as far as the characters go, but it is a definitive emotional ending for me. Um, so I didn't want to go back on that. Um, so it was a hard choice because it was a choice. You know, it wasn't someone saying, all right, you're done. Um, and that has been true, actually, of most of my books. Um, with with our Grand Fairy Tales, um, I it was my idea to leave at, at issue 125. I, I didn't know that they, they were going to actually end um, my... my um, because, all right, with issue 101, the first of my run, mm-hmm. I, um, I introduced this idea of Arcane Acre. It's, it's their school. You know? I, I wanted, um, for the first time ever, to have a, like, a base, because the series has kind of been all over the place. You know, that They've done high fantasy, they've, they've, they've done horror, and they've never had a full main cast so I wanted to introduce that um, and I said alright I'll stay on for 12 issues after 12 issues I was super into it and I decided to stay on for uh, 13 more um, <laughs> and they're going to wrap up Arcane Acre after I'm done um, so that, that that was a choice too and, and Charmed um, you know that, that was always going to be one season for me uh, so yeah it's um each of these runs has been a choice for me to leave, and that choice is usually always difficult. But the choice to leave Robin Hood was probably the hardest professional choice I've made. Are you no? Are you still going to be editing the book? Or are you completely done? Um, I mean, they might ask me to edit it, but I really don't want to. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think that it would be fair for me to edit it because um, I'll always see Robin. I'll, I'll always see Robin as a character through the lens of myself the way I see her so um, I don't think it will be fair to whoever writes her next to have me there um, and Thanks. I don't think it will be fair to me to have to try to work with someone else on a vision that's not mine you know so um, uh, I would say um, please no if they asked um, but <laughs> but hey you know um, you know and I do give my blessing to whoever does write it I just um I would rather not have to work hand in hand with them. Would you still read the book? Oh, I have to. You know, I mean, um, as far as my editorial duties, part of that is proofing every book that goes out. Hmm. Um, so, um, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of a, I cannot read it. Um, if I had the choice to not read it, um, it would totally depend on who's going to write it. Um, and there are some writers where I would just be um, very curious to see what, what they would do. Uh, because um, a few of the writers that I've had uh, pitched for it um, are writers that I'm a fan of. Um, and I would almost be honored in a way to see them pick up the character. Um, but in most cases, I, I would prefer to just leave it where it is. But I understand that, 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 that that's not an option. You know, you, you don't get to leave a company's character and just have that be the end of it. Um, so I think that I'll be curious when the time comes. But the thought of reading it is not my favorite thought. And that makes sense. I mean, it's 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 well, it's it's like a significant other almost, or a child, but a little bit of both, right? Like you you kind of want to make sure that they're being taken care of, but you almost don't want to see too much about it right you know and it's like um i mean as far as the significant other thing um that the the, the people 
want. I, I don't care. That's the past. Robin Hood is different. You know, that's there's a gigantic piece of me in that. So it would be more as if someone found a diary that I wrote for the past four years and then wrote a sequel to it. <laughs> it's a weird thought. Um, but hey, you know, if, if that sequel is going to make a company that I work for money, then yes, by all means do it. However, um, am I super stoked to read it? At this point, no, because I'm not even done working on Robin Hood. You know, we, we have, um, I have to get number 20 lettered and I have to get the, the final epilogue issue drawn, colored, and lettered. So I'm still in the thick of it. After I'm done with all this, maybe I'll be able to uh, sit back and um, look at it from, from a greater distance and then really just enjoy whatever comes next. I don't know. But now that I'm still, I'm, I'm still very much um, building up toward that grace note. Um, so the idea of someone else picking up so soon after is not exciting for me, but um, it, it also kind of is in a perverse way, though, because um, I, I'm curious to see how much how much of what I feel the core of the character will continue and how much will be interpreted in a wholly different way, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, question. Um, this is kind of more almost like a publishing aspect idea, but is the book going to continue its numbering when it comes back, or is it going to be relaunched with a new title when it has a new creative team? Yeah, you know, it's definitely going to be a new title. Um, it's going to be Robin Hood something. Um, because the thing about um, an ongoing series is just, after a while, it's a lot harder to convince someone to pick up a Robin Hood 21 than it is a Robin Hood something one, right? You know, it's that, that number one implies that it's accessible, that it's new. Um, and, and it is, you know, I'm very glad that they are going to do 21 because it's not, it's not my story. It's going to be someone else's story. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with Grim Fairy Tales, um, my, my beginning was issue 101. So we had to push the idea that that this is a new story, you know? Um, and I'm not sure how many people were aware. So I think that Xenoscope has kind of figured out that it's a lot harder to push a new arc than it is a new series. Absolutely. No, I mean, that it makes sense, but yeah, it's hard to figure out how to, how to make that work and how to kind of pass those kind of tribulations. Right, you know, and as far as like, I know that the discussion of numbering is a big issue in comics, um, but I think that that should only apply to series that have had hundreds of issues. Like, does it a book like Detective Comics is going to eventually pick up that old numbering because it's just it's such a legacy. Robin Hood, though, doesn't matter if it ends up being twenty-one or one. I think that no one's going to be upset, and I think that more people will see a new number one than um, would see a 21. I think you're probably right, because you're right. The The idea of legacy, it's 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 for those longer-tenured titles that people seem to get more upset about, because it feels like they keep relaunching those, whereas, you know, these other books, it feels more natural, as you said. Right, right. It, uh, uh, the new, whatever happens with Robin Hood next, it won't be your story, so, especially on that level, it makes sense to kind of relaunch it and do its own thing. Exactly, you know, and I actually, um, I know that this kind of stands in opposition to what I said before, but I do like what Marvel was doing with uh, Marvel now because um, 
there was this weird conversation about how people thought that, that they were trying to match DC's reboot when they were doing these new number ones. But the core idea of Marvel's now, uh, of uh, Marvel now, was that they were numbering by the run. You know, like you had Matt Fraction's Hawkeye. That was the new number one. And then when it started over with a new writer, that, that's a new number one. They're not rebooting, but they're rather paying respect to the writer and the artist in that way by publishing their series as their series. And that, that was cool, you know. It's not going to last because, um, you know, sometimes you just have these writers who do a few issues and then move on. Mm-hmm. But I thought the concept there was pretty cool. It's such an interesting concept. I wonder if, I don't think this would ever happen, but it would be interesting to ever have like a, almost like a subtitle on a book where it's like, you know, Hawkeye by, you know, by Ebru Baker or Matt Fraction, whatever the case may be, just kind of so that to help denote what the book is. Right. You know, and they have done that with the trades. Mm-hmm. However, um, with the issues that probably won't happen, but it is a cool idea. Um, now how did, how did Charmed end up happening? Were you a fan of the original TV show? Now, what what was kind of the, what's the process of working on a licensed property like that, where you're kind of within the framework of an existing show and you're just kind of adding on? Like, how does that work? Um, it's it's interesting because it's different than it's not. You know, um, I've been afforded a lot of freedom by CBS to do whatever I want. Charmed, 
the readers are into it in a way that I didn't expect, in a bigger way, um, a more intense way. Um, and usually that's a great thing. Uh, I just did this big reveal in the, the, the last issue, um, and there were all these fans who just lost their shit. It was just this, <laughs> it was the biggest reaction I've ever seen. And a lot of the fans were, were pissed off because um, they, they said that they predicted that, that this would happen. But then when they were talking about it, they had no idea what happened. Like, they were just wrong about what happened, but they were pissed off that they thought they figured it out. So, whereas with Robin Hood and Grim Fairy Tales, I find that the readers have more patience. You know, they're more willing to wait for a story to see how it plays out. With Charmed, they've waited so long for these stories because they've been fans since the TV show was on the air. And now they have one comic per month as opposed to one episode per week. Um, so as soon as the book drops, they're like, this happened, but this could have happened, but this could have happened. So they, they feel that they're, that they deserve, um, what they want, like exactly what they want. But the challenge of that is that you you see that and you, you see them telling you exactly what they want, but you can't give them what they want because that's not a story, you know? So it's this constant sort of, um, war that I'm facing in my head between the the idea of tailoring the story more toward the fans or staying true to the story I want to tell. And, I mean, the answer is always they'll be latter, you know? If you do the former, that's not a story. That's just pandering. And mm-hmm. I don't want that. Um, but it's really interesting seeing the, that these fans are just so hungry for the story, you know? Just... That they are ceaselessly hungry for it. <laughs> when when writing Charmed, uh, at least originally, did you kind of prep by you know watching the show again and, and reading the comics or? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, um, the comics actually that came before me, Paul season nine, is probably my favorite Charmed story. You know, it's um, it's Paul gets he gets the characters in a way that I was very impressed by. And um, so that I read many times. As far as the show, what I did was um, I actually owe my current obsession with, with Netflix to Charmed because <laughs> before Charmed, I was just buying DVDs. And um, uh, I, I was obsessively collecting DVDs. But then I, I realized that it would be a lot more accessible for me on the go uh, at conventions to be able to watch Charmed on Netflix on the computer. So I ended up purchasing, purchasing uh, Netflix, and it's been great. I have spent uh, such a large amount of my life watching Netflix. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, I did watch the whole thing over again. I wrote three thick books of notes, um, and, yeah, um, I, I essentially made a series Bible, um, just like a TV show, and... Um, Wow, yeah. and you said that it that has a like you know how long the season is going to go? Um, yeah, it's going to go to twenty two issues, unless we get canceled, which I don't want. But um, who knows? You know, um, <laughs> it's going to go to twenty two issues, and um, I, I originally said, and, and I'm being kind of unsure about this publicly now because um, I, I originally said 
that it's going to end at 22 and there'll be no season 11. Um, but I don't feel that way anymore. Um, hmm. I am now into the idea of a season 11 because what happened was um, when we started out, it was going to be 25 issues, right? And then when I figured out the exact story and the exact beats, I thought, okay, I not only can I do it in 22 for the sake of telling the exact story the exact way it needs to be told, I should do it in 22. So I talked to CBS and Zenoscope, and we put the season down to 22 issues. Um, and that was going to be it for me. But then I got contacted by Joe Books and Harper Collins to write the charm novels. So then I wrote two charm novels so far between seasons 9 and 10. So they take place before my story. But I introduced you to these elements that I loved. Um, <laughs> So, out of those novels, the very rough shape for a season 11 came to mind. Um, I don't know um, when that would happen. I don't know who would publish it. Um, but I talked to CBS, and they are into the, into the idea of keeping me on as writer. Um, so, that, that won't be announced if it ends up happening for a long, long time. Or if it'll be a season or a miniseries, I don't know. Um, so I don't know what's going on. If Zenoscope is going to cancel it at 22 issues, who knows? Um, but I do know that we're, we're going to wrap at 22, and then I'm going to put um, a lot of effort toward um, pushing an um, 11th season, no matter who, who publishes it. Now, a question about the novels. Do you think there'd ever be a chance of adapting those into a graphic format? Um, no, I have no idea. That um, It's an interesting question because I think to do that, that Joe Books and HarperCollins would need the Charm Comics license mm. um, because they own um, the, the specific story that I wrote for them is theirs. Um, but they don't have the license for the novel, the um, comics, I believe, and, and just the novels. So it's a weird kind of legal licensing green line. I, I don't know about. If I was asked to, I would do it in a second. Um, I think especially um, the, the, the second book that I wrote is so would be so cool as a comic. I think it would be awesome. Um, but it's probably never going to happen. Um, but if someone asked me to do it, I would do it in a second. And now you have an, a new launch coming, uh, I believe, in March, right? Hellchild. Right, yes, yes. So what's, That's, um, what's Hellchild about? It's, all right, so <laughs> it's kind of high concept. We have um, one of the main characters is Hades. His daughter was killed by a vampire thousands of years ago, um, and he's been mourning her ever since, and his... <laughs> His girlfriend, uh, his human girlfriend, Liesel Van Helsing, figures out how to bring her back. So essentially, it's a horror resurrection story about this half-god, half-vampire who is unleashed on New York City, and she, um, and this Hades daughter, uh, the Hellchild, and she ends up getting involved with this gang of, uh, Viking junkie vampires. Um, <laughs> So it's sort of this, like, um, 
so, so sort of um, punk rock kind of um, grungy New York City underworld story. Um, it's it's going to be very fun. You know, it's I don't like selling it as a sequel, but it's very. Um, I mean, I've written Hades and, and uh, Van Helsing in many titles. You know, they have they have their own title with Van Helsing. Uh, we did we did this uh, one Helsing series, and then we did Van Helsing versus Dracula. And this series follows that um, storyline, but it's with Hellchild um, as the protagonist here. She's both the protagonist and the villain here, um, in a weird kind of way. Um, and it uses the same cast as Van Helsing, but I don't like pushing it as a sequel because it is decently new reader friendly. Now, is it is it going to be a miniseries or an ongoing? That's a miniseries, yeah. Do you have now? Um, it's launching in March, correct? Right. Now, do you, um, I guess you can't really say, but are, do you have future Hellchild stories in mind? Um. Yes. Yeah. You know. Um. I don't have a, a sequel miniseries planned, but I will say that. Um. All right. In August this year, I can't say what it's called, but I'm going to do um a five issue series that features characters from all the books I've written. As um, it's sort of um, how can I say it without saying it? Um, <laughs> features characters from Grim Fairy Tales, from Robin Hood, from Hellchild, from Van Helsing, from Cinderella. You know, it's but it's going to be uh, damn. Um, all right, the pitch was that in comics you see these these events that have they last a long time. They include so many books. And at Zenoscope, they've done the same thing. You know, we've had three events, and all three have gone on for a long time and featured many books. I thought, what if you could um, do a concise event as five issues, no tie-ins? And that, that's the book. But I can't say what it's called or what it's about, but that's where we're at. All right, well, that sounds exciting. Yeah, definitely. What... what um... <laughs> What attracted you to kind of doing that that type of book? Just kind of doing a, a big jam all at once in, in one miniseries? Is that more alluring to you? Well, um, I approached it more as a place of story um, because the way Robin Hood ends, um, there is one thread left dangling and it was meant to dangle. But then I started thinking about what if I tell the story? And then as I was telling it, I saw a chance to... Um, sort of um, say goodbye to what I've been doing on a larger scale um, because I, I realized that not only is Robin Hood ending in April but I, I'm ending on Grim Fairy Tales and Hell, and uh, Hell Child in August um, so I thought it's, it's interesting that all my current books are ending at the same time what if I could do this one sort of big event series bring it all together as like one final goodbye to all that I've done um, so yeah. Now, what is the, what else does the future hold for you then after that? I mean, obviously now we're moving into very far away territory, but um, I know that I've been asked to to uh, submit non Grim Universe ideas because the thing is with like with Robin Hood, with with Grim Fairy Tales, with Hellchild, it's all in the same universe. You know, it's like um, it's sort of Zenoscope's Marvel or DC universe where all the books interconnect. And um, this year, they're kind of getting away from that, where 
most of the books that they've introduced are not in that universe. So um, my idea is that I'll tell this one last, and I say last, not knowing what, what comes next. You know, if I'm offered a Hellchild sequel, I'll probably say yes. Um, but it was envisioned as like one final um, riot through the streets of the Grim Universe. Um, so yeah, what I would like to do next with them is uh, some creator own stuff. So I would like to do some non uh, non fairy tale stuff. Um, and if they get some more licenses, that'll be fun. Um, um, they, they have they, they, their uh, kids branch in uh, Silver Dragon books. Mm-hmm. I would love to do some more young adult books. Um, yeah, but I mean, I can't say what's next, but I can. Um, but I can just like. Um, I hope um, I hope that no matter what is next that um, readers will um, connect to it in the same way that they have Robin Hood you know because I, um, I, I I put so much of myself as I said before into Robin Hood that I think um, from this point on since we're not going to be doing that many Grim Universe stories that, that there's going to be a chance to tell new and different stories that are going to push me as a writer and that I am pretty excited for. All right. And, and any final teases before we uh, we sign off? Um, teases. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I... Um, I mean, you've teased I'm, a lot already, to be fair. I have, I have. Um, I would say that um, the next novel I'm doing for Joe Books, I'm currently talking to them now. It's going to be a different universe. Um, it's not charmed. I'm trying to push something completely different. Um, and it's a big title, and I hope I get that. Um, at Zenoscope, we have Hellchild coming out in March. Um, at Margins Press, uh, they just put out the Dates Anthology. It's an anthology of uh, queer historical comics. Um, I have a creator-owned story in there. Um, it's drawn by Roberta Granada, who draws Robin Hood. Um, that's out now. You can get it online through my social media, through dates, margins, press, all that stuff. Um, and I, I'm in talks with different companies um, for, for novels uh, and other stuff that I can't talk about. But um, I think that I'm more excited about the direction of my career this year than I ever have been before. And I hope that when um, readers see what I'm doing and where I'm going, that um, they'll be excited too. Excellent. Well, thanks again so much for joining us today, Pat, and uh, good luck with 2016. Awesome. Thank you.